0: Hello and uh, welcome to the Landscape Library podcast. Today I want to look at children's play areas in private gardens. Some design considerations. Now, areas specially set aside for ch- use by children within a family group becoming ever more popular, especially since the um, COVID-19 pandemic when people were obliged to remain isolated at home and pressures of a different sort became evident within the family unit. Everything from catering, outdoor kitchens, to leisure, hot tubs, swimming pools, secluded relaxation, screen planting, lawns, practical welfare, vegetable gardens, herbs, and children's entertainment become extremely important and desirable. Now garden designers are increasingly being asked to include a section of the garden that may be safely accessed and used by the younger members of the family unit, designed initially exclusively for the immediate family, but with a more general future usefulness by a wife inviting other people's children to join in the games once social distancing was relaxed. But since that time, I think children's gardens have become more important to families. People recognise the needs. It's probably fair to say that most homeowners have no real idea of what they want, or more precisely, what it is they need to, provide a, to create a safe area for their youngsters. It's equally fair to say that most garden designers are not specialists in the field of constructing play areas, even though they may be aware of the obvious requirements for safety and to avoid any dangerous situations, harmful products or materials, either as parents themselves or by applying common sense. There is a great deal of information available from various sources on the internet, and this article is not intended to be the complete guide to designing children's play areas. It is, however, written as a general warning that designing such features is probably the most fraught and potentially litigious area a designer can take on. Now, In my work as an expert witness, stroke dispute consultant, I've seen several cases recently where the projects have failed, very expensively, because of a lack of care and attention, for want of a better phrase, designers have simply nominated an area within a garden as being suitable for use by children. This designation was based purely on their wish to get the kids away as far as possible from the house. Keep all noise and untidiness away from sight and the sound of the adults' entertaining areas. To reiterate, this podcast is not intended to be a comprehensive manual on designing children's play areas. It's based on my recollections and findings discovered during several dispute surveys conducted in the last four or five years. As such, the format of comments and advice may be slightly disjointed, as I'm not describing one single site or garden, Number of different situations found in several properties. So I called it a code of good pro- practice for play areas. The play area must be sited in a position that is safe and suited for its purpose. This means it should not be sited where the children cannot be seen by adults, but it must not be sited in a dangerous position, e.g., next to a fall or drop, stream or river, near pernicious weeds, uh, nettles and giant hogweed, or similar or near to any other potential injurious situation. Now, This requirement includes the pathway or access to the play area, not just the play area itself. But simply having a safe haven visible from the house is not sufficient if access is gained by passing such potentially dangerous areas and factors. Children will always take the desire line or nearest direct route from the house to the site. The design of the playground must comply with the relevant British standards with advice taken from Rossper or another body involved in safety. This design element will include proximity and type of play equipment, the spacings required for each unit, including spaces between features, heights, including fall factors concerning proximity, and importantly, most importantly, suited to the ages and sizes of the users. And owners of such players are liable not only for their own children, but for all users, or potential users, including friends, relatives and neighbours that may have access, even though they may be uninvited trespassers. Equipment. All equipment, including any homemade type log seats and swings attached to trees, must be suitable for the weight and ages of the intended users at the time of design. If you're catering for toddlers, Equipment suited to 10-year-old children will not be deemed safe to use and this very important point must be highlighted in the design proposal. You are designing for a purpose to be used in accordance with your brief. This element should be highlighted in the Designers' Construction Design Management Regulations 2015 plan. All new play equipment must comply with BSEN 1176 and bear accreditation to that effect. Again, this certification should be included in the designer's CDM plan as being compliant and a copy should be retained for future safeguarding of the integrity of the designer. Even if design accreditation and good practice alter over the years, if the designer has complied with the regulations in force at the time of installation, they cannot be held liable for any claims. Some equipment is supplied in kit form and the contractor may wish to price for assembling these items. I suggest the designer does not become involved in this part of the project to avoid split responsibilities. Some equipment is designed to be fitted into the ground and suitable specification will be supplied by the manufacturer. Now, other items may be freestanding, but the same comment applies. As the designer, simply designate the sighting of the features, ensuring safety distances, and leave the contractors to work under their own CDM plan. Surfacing the servicing of a player is one of the most important aspects of a project as one is often underspecified with a simple phrase such as supply and spread playback to manufacturers' recommendations which is far too nebulous as a specification. Much will depend on the type of play equipment, ages and sizes of the users, height of potential falls and ground conditions as discovered on site and attention to detail is paramount. Having asked the client for their intended use, it's incumbent on the designer to interpret those instructions into a fully detailed specification. Great tear should be taken to inspect the proposed site to ensure there are no existing metal fence posts or concrete foundations at or near to the surface. It's advisable to dig over the area of a depth of 300mm with an excavator to make certain the ground beneath the play area is free of any such obstructions or potentially lethal items remaining in the ground. If the area is designated to be finished at ground level, with excess soil removed from site, this will prove to be an expensive design decision. Drainage and or wise may be needed to prevent ponding on certain sites, especially cray ground. Once the area is deemed clear, a geotextile membrane should be fitted and I suggest and recommend that you have a, a woven taram type fixed to the ground with plastic pegs with large caps or heads to ensure the fabric cannot move around. The surface itself would depend on the client's choice, the rubber chips and play bark being the usual servicing products. This protective surface must also comply with BS 7188 and EN 1177. The actual deft- depth of the surface will be governed by EN 1176 as being appropriate to the intended use. This depth will depend primarily on the height of the fall that may be anticipated by the type of play equipment. For example, some multifaceted equipment in the shape of a treehouse and climbing ropes, etc., may have a potential maximum fall height of, say, up to 3 metres, even though the maximum platform height may only be 2 metres. There's a chance the child may climb up onto the roof of the structure. So some rubber chip suppliers may recommend a minimum of 150mm depth, but this wording will be qualified according to the height and fall of the ages and the age of users. So, you need the height of the fall and age of users. And I suggest that you treat all such recommendations as a guide only and always err on the side of extra depth and therefore safety. Technically, these products are called commonly used impact attenuating material, which pretty much describes them in a readily understood phrase that would dictate your specification during conversations with your clients. And please note the BSEN 1176 2008 does not specify which type of bark or wood chip and I strongly suggest you recommend and specify only play grade wood chip or bark as these products will have been tested for other important factors including dust splinters and sharp edges that render mulch type materials unsuitable for play areas personally i recommend not less than 200 mm depth of play bark or a maximum of 300 retaining or edging these loose materials is crucial as they may need to be contained and not allowed to spread beyond the play area. The form of a retainer must be non-injurious, which effectively rules out steel edging or other narrow material. Depending on the style of garden the feature will be installed in, some form of logs laid flat and secured in position, and hidden by guy ropes and pegs, is perhaps the simplest and most effective edging. Perhaps these edgings may double up as a children's seat, or as tactile features for sprawling over. Now Costs the initial outlay in creating a children's garden can be seriously underestimated. It's possibly one of the most expensive garden features of all. Grading and clearance, membrane, 200 mm of play bark, including labour and all materials, will cost in a region of £90 per square metre, plus edging and the excavations and drainage that may be required. However, it is not a project that we achieve with shortcuts. And... A couple of play areas I've been involved in were seriously underestimated by the designer. They may have checked out the requirements involved as ingredients, but totally failed to recognise their responsibilities to their clients when constructing the project. The depth of playback must be suitable to the project that you're working on. There's so much information available online regarding play areas, there are so many areas of design and integrity that are not covered. I hope this podcast causes designers to think far beyond simply providing your clients with a children's area. It's a complex subject, one that may cause many complaints and claims, and you you qualify every aspect of your design and err on the side of additional safety every time. You'll never be criticized for being overcautious. Thank you for listening. The next podcast will be on the subject of protecting your design integrity. See you again soon. Don't forget to look at the Landscape Library. Goodbye.